Hello and welcome to another episode of DIY EV Chat, the show, podcast, video, all of those things about making your own electric car. Uh, my name is Tom Cheeseright and tonight my guest, or oh, it's tonight for me anyway, it might be when you're listening to this or watching this, but anyway for this episode my guest is Chris Hazel from Zero EV, a man who'll be very familiar to, well just about anyone who's started looking at or has built their own electric, electric car. Uh, welcome Chris. Welcome, hello. It's nice, <laughs> nice to be here. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Now, listen, we, you and I were just joking about the fact that you're a pro now and you've got this business. I, I'm guessing you are the biggest supplier of EV components and kits in the UK. I don't know if that's official, but it certainly feels that way. Maybe not just the UK anymore. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get all Billy Big Bananas, you started as a DIYer. Let's go back to the beginning. How did you get into building electric cars? So I owe it all, or a lot of it, to Kevin Sharp. Right, okay. Um, which is with Damon Maguire and uh, oh, Johannes. It, yeah. It's sort of that group of three, I suppose, is where it all started uh, some four years ago, I think, roughly. And then it got out of hand quite quickly, <laughs> um, shall we say. <laughs> but it very much started DIY for me. Um, I had custom shops I used to do sort of one-off builds um so I was running for about a year before I got into EV stuff um I was sort of in a point where I exited one company started started up again in a little small shop just me just doing the jobs I wanted to do on my own in my little sort of thousand square foot unit um so I was playing around with like Porsches and Audi R8s and sort of just fun cars that I could spend a month or so on a car and not mm. have to not have to worry about like previous place before that was like a service garage where I used to do ramp gotcha. rentals and stuff. So it was always like seven days a week, full on, just getting by and then changed to sort of the position where actually I can just do the jobs I want to do sure. um, with very low overheads. So that was where I sort of got to. And then I got offered a scrap Tesla motor from a breakage yard locally for quite cheap. And I thought, well, I'll just take a risk. Why not? Uh, and then I started the, the thing that everyone still does these days is how do you build an electric car? How do you get this thing to work? And how do you get it to work on a budget? That was mm. sort of where it all started. And then I started looking on the forums. I reached out to Damien, um, in which he then put me in contact with Kevin because they were doing a trip to the UK and I wanted to pop in and see me when they came over. Um, so I had Kevin arrive along with Anne from New Electric and Damien um, for a day and just went through loads of stuff. And then I got lumbered, whether it's lumbered, I don't know. <laughs> Kevin's split-screen camper van appeared quite quickly, um, <laughs> shall we say. The, the never-ending camper van of Kevin's that is still, I don't know if it's on the road yet or not. Um, so I did loads of the work on that. So I mounted a small drive unit in the back of it, um, did all the battery pack stuff for that, the rear pack, the un undercarriage pack on that. Um, but alongside that, I was building my Skyline. So I, mm. I learned on my electric skylight and that thing's been rebuilt three times now and it's about to go through another rebuild now uh, for the fourth time. So yeah, that's sort of a never ending job, I suppose, on the side for me is that car. Uh, but it started and, and with a bolt. Sorry. And was it literally learning from, you know, okay, what's on YouTube? What's on the forums? What can I, you know, reverse engineer? It was all sort of learned practically, was it? everything's hands-on i mean i'm i'm not maybe i'm severely dyslexic so i just don't tell anyone um normally so um so for me everything is got to be very hands-on very visual because i won't sit and read books it just does not me i just can't do it so everything was very much hands-on i mean i've come from a hands-on background so I'm always hands-on um mm. so it was very much you know car electronics and high voltage was completely new to me 
I mean, when you look at the builds I did four years ago with the Skyline, and I look at them now, I'm amazed that it even works um, <laughs> at the time. Uh, but, you know, I had some, you know, some good people around me at the time to get it going and get it to that point. And obviously quickly from then it's progressed. But the, the Skyline's got, a, you know, a Chevy Volt. They used to have a Volt pack in. It's now got a Chevy Bolt pack in there. It's still got the same large drive unit it had four years ago. Still got the welded diff I put in it four years ago. Um, so still got an open source control board in there. So there's still fundamental features that still maintain um, wow. from original that I just haven't seen the point in upgrading because there was nothing wrong with it. So it sort of shows, you know, that car's been used and abused a lot. Well, I've seen it being abused. I mean, that car really caught people's attention of what's possible for a sort of a retrofit. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that caught the attention for getting us off our first job. So we did um, three stunt cars for a show in Macau in China. Mm. which was two 350Zs and a Porsche 911, but it was space frame chassis, Tesla motor, Tesla battery pack, Tesla chargers, Tesla DC to DC. Um, so everything in there was Tesla. Pretty much all of it was open source at the time as well. Um, wow. So, yeah, we did that. That that pushed, pushed the boundaries a little bit at the time because I don't think anyone else really wanted to take the job on, shall we say, um, apart from us. So we took that job on. Luckily, it was the cars were used for drifting, so they were on or off. It wasn't a road car, so it was quite <laughs> nice in a way because we didn't have to. To be perfectly honest, it's very easy to get a car to do to do drifting, and which is on and off throttle. When you when it's hard is when you want to do feathering the throttle slowly for pull away and regen, and that that's when it gets a lot more difficult mm. um, from the setup side of things. But if you want something just to go fast, zero to sixty, that's the easy bit. It's the drivability daily that makes it. A lot more difficult from what we found over the years yeah and then you know, the, the more time you spend in it especially not going around a drift track the more things you notice the more things you want to be just right just perfect just not smacking into the car in front of you it's uh yes <laughs> and that, that yeah. gets you into all sorts of interesting engineering questions as well because you know one of the things with retrofit is things like weight distribution is things like you know safety there's there's making it work and then there's making it work, and there's quite a big difference between the two. And I guess you're, you're sort of both the iterations of your own car and the sort of iterations of the work that you now do for other people's cars must, you, know, you really have to do an awful lot of thinking about all that stuff. Yeah, it gets quite scary, I suppose, because you go from DIY is one thing, it's your car, it's you. So if you mm. hurt yourself or something, it's sort of, you know, it's on you. But as soon as you get to the point of view of a company and you're having to, you're doing these systems to give to other people, suddenly the liabilities change quite quickly. Um, and you'll get lots of angry people if you don't do it right. So, I mean, we've gone, yeah, definitely from one extreme to the other extreme over the years. Um, I mean, we, we did start off in a fairly good place. I mean, we started off with battery management systems. You know, right, okay. We started off with 400 volt systems instead of like the lower voltage type of nine stuff. So we started at a certain level from day one, I suppose, in a way. Um, but from then, it's progressed heavily um, down the routes. A lot of it's been learning. Obviously, the industry has changed massively in the last four years. Sure. Like, it's it's crazy. I probably don't understand because I've been so engrossed in it, I suppose. I probably don't quite realize how much it has changed. Um, but it's things from going from stuffing glands in the battery boxes to nice high-voltage connectors with shielded cable. Like That's quite a transition for a lot of people. A lot of people won't do it because actually stuffing glands are cheap. High voltage connectors are a couple of hundred quid a pop. So, yeah, you know, that's a really quick one for people to save money on. But when it comes to our stuff of making stuff bought in and sort of easily serviceable, you need to do that. So we've sort of got to the point where we've gone from, we're from DIY to sort of, I suppose, 
acceptable for people to use drive daily sort of from point view to how do we get as close to OEM as possible? When we do work with some of the OEMs now, so there's stuff going on there in the background, which we do, which you know we now have to meet these OEM standards, which is a whole world of pain. Um, <laughs> You know, from from DFMEAs to you know all the all the flow diagrams, all the documentation that goes with it. There's there's a huge amount of sort of hoops to jump through, shall we say? Which then suddenly takes you from a you might have I don't know a set of parts of sixteen grand for a Hyper Nine system, but then as soon as you spend all that additional development and time to actually accept certified sort of OEM world, you end up spending double the amount of money on development to tick yeah. all the other boxes. So you've got this very much a very different um, approach. But the way we've gone now is if we do kits in volume, you bring the price back down again because you can just spread that development cost out over sure. a load of kits. So that's where the kits sort of come from from our point of view. So let's, let's take a step back then because the company Zero EV, when did, it, when, did it, when did it go from we will um, you know take on commissions like those cars in Macau to we're going to supply parts, we're going to supply projects? Was that a sort of a planned evolution or was that something that came about through demand? Um, I think it was demand. I mean, me and Alex, my business partner, Alex, Doug, David, he's been with me from the start. Actually, Kevin and Damien introduced me to Alex. Okay. <laughs> so it's a very... It's a very little, small world, yeah. isn't it? So Alex was actually <laughs> supplying Damien Tesla motors. So Damien's first Tesla motor came from Alex. So Alex was supplying Damien Johannes, and then they got me in contact with Alex, and we're within two years of each other. So we sort of got on very well, and then we started Zero EV. Um, we... I suppose me and Alex learned quite soon on that actually there was no one in the market doing kit like parts that work together. Like from when I tried to do my and it was like, well, what BMS do I use? What batteries do I use? What voltage? What ampage? What cable size? Like that data still isn't really readily available now. Um, it's a lot more available now, but it's still not quite. You know, there's not a one-stop guide, I suppose, that covers everything mm. as of yet. Um, but we are working on something with our training courses to cover a lot more of the conversion world got you do quite a lot of work on recently um but yeah that's that's sort of where we suddenly realized that there's nothing there there's this sort of there's lots of gaps there's nowhere you can go i mean you had ev west in the us but even then there was gaps with that and there still is mm. there's it's still not everything documented everything covered and sort of all that stuff there so that was quite obvious i mean the worst the, the thing was transitioning from doing conversions to doing parts and kits because you end up booking in loads of conversions and then you can't really stop and go the other direction until you've finished <laughs> where you are. So we've still been doing odd bits and odd conversions as we've been going along. We do a lot for the film industry still, so a lot of stunt vehicles still. That's never gone away. Okay. Um, that's sort of very well hidden in the background, the work we do for like Warner Brothers and Disney and all that stuff. But that's sort of hidden away of we'll do one-off, a couple of film vehicles for a film out there sort of thing, mm -hmm. um, which some of them actually will finally come out soon because they've all been filmed over lockdown so <laughs> some that's of them might cool. catch up and actually hit hit cinemas at some point um so we still do that stuff we still support the film industry heavily because they're all starting to transition just in that way that so we've still got a bit of a sort of a little bit of one-off custom world but it's more that we supply them we support them they build it mm. um but that's still the hands-on side and then apart from that a lot of it is, is b2b supply of components and kits so um, for other basically sort of you know what we would have been a sort of uh hot rod shop almost in the past or you know a garage they basically take your kit and do conversions for other people yeah i mean we supply a lot of ev conversion shops in uk europe us so we we we, we are in the background i suppose for a lot of the ev shops mm. um because we buy such volume and stuff there's just 
a lot of them don't can't buy in the volumes required to get some of these parts because mm. um, a lot of the, the manufacturers won't even talk to you if you want ones and twos you need yeah, to yeah. buy in a hundred of something to to make it worth their while um so we're sort of in that point where actually we can buy volume to supply out to the ev shops which is why we run the web store alongside because actually we can get all these parts and make them available to the DIYers, which they wouldn't be able to source themselves. So sort yeah. of byproduct of the B2B is the web store to an extent. And that's suddenly, really cool because yeah. like things like the the connectors you talked about, sure, they're they're more expensive than just sticking some some glands on the end of the cable and you know and crimping it, which is fine for your sort of first one. But those parts wouldn't be accessible at all to people unless you were buying in volume. So if you do yeah. want to take that step up in terms of the quality of your conversion, you're either sort of hunting around a scrapyard for an OEM part that you can actually reuse, which you quite often can't, they're very hard to reuse, or you're, you don't really have many options in terms of you know, uh, parts, but it's only there because you are buying in volume. And I think anybody who's tried to buy sort of you know, unobtainium connectors for OEM bits knows that you know, it's great if you can buy 10,000, but not very useful if you want to buy one. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, like we, we've got to point out, well, you know, we have direct contacts with TE and all these companies because we've got to sort of level where now they'll actually look at us and go, right, they are a proper business. They are at a set scale where it's actually worth us talking to them. Um, but you have to get to that point because a lot of them just brush you off and go, oh, you're a little, little conversion shop. I don't want to talk to you. Um, we've probably made enough impact that they actually take us seriously, um, which is which is quite good and quite surprising at times. Um, but I've gone completely off topic. I can't remember what the question no, no, was. Well, you're talking about the, the supplying um, EV conversion shops. And I, I sort of realised how big you got when your name started popping up in the, the other YouTube channels I watched. So I've been sort of following your YouTube series and, oh, yo, I think any like any car nut, I watch a lot of sort of car YouTube, and suddenly the zero EV name keeps popping up all over the place. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we this are sort of hidden in the, hidden the, the UK. background. Yeah, yeah, hidden hidden out in the background, which it works quite well. We just try and play nice with everyone at the end of the day, because um, we're not doing the conversions anymore. Right. It's sort of we can just support uh, from from that point of view. And then yeah, we've we've been working on the kits now, uh, which is mainly to enable, as you said, like the hot rod shops or the restoration shops. Mm. They they don't want to upskill. They don't want to train loads of staff. They don't want to become an EV conversion shop, which is doing loads of one offs. They want to just do their, I don't know, their Porsche. And all they've done is Porsche. All they want to do is Porsche. Or they've done their Land Rover or you know, multiple different vehicles. That, that's all they want to do. So we're trying to focus on that side, actually, where we can talk to Porsche specialists or Land Rover specialists or other, other vehicles we're working on and just supply them a bolt-in kit. I mean, there's, there's gaps. You know, There's a lot of vehicles we don't do, but we're preferring to do a selection of vehicles very well to OEM level, which no one can get really close to from a quality point of view. Uh, and I think and then that's we'll a- slowly expand that. That, that, and how you select those vehicles is interesting because, you know, the ones you, you talked about, Land Rover, really interesting combination of there are lots of them around but they've, and they've got a massive enthusiast base, you know, a lot of parts supply, but they've also got a certain cachet and, and like, you know, Porsche is the same. There are lots of 911s out there, but they've got a value that means people are willing to spend an amount converting them. I don't know if you've actually got a formula, but it feels like there's a sort of sweet spot there in terms of volume, prestige, and uh, and sort of quality that you're working to. Yeah, I mean, it's. I suppose we some of it's guessing in a way, because <laughs> some of the vehicles people are never going to want to convert. There's certain niches which people just don't want to go down that route. It's trying to weigh up between is the vehicle valuable enough that someone will spend the money on it. Mm. I think that's one of the key things. Is Yes, you could do mass production of 
MGB kits or sort of other small classic ranges. But the problem is they've not quite got to a value yet where people will go and spend thirty thousand, forty thousand, fifty thousand pounds on them. It's just not there. But you take Land Rovers, which actually there's hundred thousand pound plus Land Rovers these days, and Porsches are high value and stuff mm. like that. We've 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 sort of I suppose we've done the Tesla route in a way. We focused on high value, low production to start with. And then I think as we get the production lines running properly in scale, our buying power increases, so we're buying lots more batteries, lots more motors and stuff like that, then we can start start looking at the smaller, cheaper vehicles and bring the price down. So that's, I think, where it's going to be is the, the high-end vehicles, the Land Rovers, the Porsches, stuff like that, they're going to pay for a lot of the base development for the production lines, the systems, and we produce them in lower numbers, and then we can scale up to sort of larger volume, uh, more budget vehicles, longer term. Something um, like the, the MX-5 way. that you were playing with. Yeah. Like the MX-5 was probably too early. But yeah. It got a lot of attention. It was the perfect car to get people sort of thinking about it in a couple of years' time, maybe, once the prices come down and stuff like that. But right now, it's it's not not the ideal vehicle. Um, the MX-5 is currently in lots of bits again. And I don't know if I'll put it back together, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it might. One, one thing we've been doing is the MX-5, was it's the perfect kit of parts for training. Yeah. So currently, it's been stripped, and we're building a, a training bench from the MX-5. Gotcha. So our new training courses, which is about EV conversions, which cover all the different topics, it's the MX-5 on a, a table, basically. So we can do interrogation and go through how the systems work in depth. Um, but the MX-5 was perfect for that, to, to strip apart and use, use for those bits. So the MX-5 is no more at the moment. Have you got your eye on it? What, what, what might be next? Have you got a, some, some ideas about what, things that really appeal? There's a couple. I mean, there's, I suppose, a handful of different cars, but there's a lot of people now getting into the market. Mm. So like we have done design work for Mercedes Pagodas, for instance. We did a lot of design work around it, and then we stopped because actually the tech was moving ahead and we needed the right motor and gearbox solution. So we weren't quite happy with what was there, so we put things on hold. Same with like E-types and stuff like that. We sort of, we've done some base work, and then we sort of stopped and went, until the tech is there or the batteries have you know, got to a certain point where they're sensible design-wise, structure-size-wise, Mm. Or we've got the right motor with production gearbox, which obviously was what we were testing in the MX-5. Um, it wasn't worth pushing them forward. So we're getting to the point now where actually we have got prototype gearboxes fully operational. We have got the new, there's the new Zonic motor range that we're actually bringing out. At, um, it's being released at fully charged. Mm. I don't know if you're going to fully charged, but yeah, we've got... Sadly, it's a long trek for me it's a down long trek south. For you, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I keep. I do want to get there. Um, uh, at some point, I will. I will. You know, cross the north south divide and and get down there. But <laughs> yeah, so we've got a new motor range coming out. Well, it's Sonic Motors, basically, is what the range is. Um, and it's we've got a seventy kilowatt motor, one hundred twenty kilowatt motor, and one hundred eighty kilowatt motor. So we've got three different sizes. Um, we've teamed up with AEM for the VCU. So we've now got a, an in-house VCU that we've been into the co-developing with them. Um, so that gives us loads of usability, loads of extra add-ons like displays and PDUs and all the other stuff. But the nice. main thing is the whole systems are 350 volt nominal. So there is, the new Zonic 70 is smaller than the Hyper 9, um, but it's high voltage. So if someone now wants to do CCS fast charging or Chadamo, they've got the option that they can actually get a motor that will allow them to do it. Gotcha. Um, but I think a lot of people have been held back and they haven't been able to do fast charging because the only option out there was the Hyper 9 or you could sort of go Tesla or Nissan Leaf route. Mm. But there was no off-the-shelf brand new in volume solution. 
So we've sort of got those now coming out. I mean, pricing wise, they're they're not quite as cheap as the hypernomes yet. But as our volumes go up, we're hoping the prices will keep coming down. I mean, the big problem at the moment is with all the shutdowns in China and COVID, the prices have actually gone up by, I think battery prices are set to go up by 20% in the next couple of months. So prices are actually going to be going up on EV conversion stuff before they come back down again, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm, but, I'm glad I've yeah. bought most of the parts for my next project already. <laughs> yeah, we've just pre-ordered an awful lot of stuff um, so that we could maintain a, a lower price for sales for the web store and stuff and hoping we've ordered enough that we can not have to bring prices up to counteract so it. So ride it and out. Then, yeah, and then hopefully by the time we do our next order, it's come back down again. That's what we're really hoping for. Um, so we're hoping no one actually has to see these 20% rises in parts. We're hoping we've just about bought enough to to cover sort of the next six months to a year but with the way things keep growing and stuff it's uh it's very difficult to predict but even basic consumables have rocketed i went to pick up some steel today and the stockholder was telling me that he put an order in on friday and he put another order in on monday and in between the two the price of steel plate had gone up 30 percent um you know just absolutely incredible rises at the moment it's, uh, it's quite scary really yeah um, and that's before you get into sort of complex components and the very, very in very high demand, like, like yeah, lithium-ion yeah. batteries. Well, we found with chargers, for instance, we may have been buying, I don't know, 50 chargers at a time. And we're like, oh, brilliant. Now we're over the 100. We get a be- better pricing point. Well, actually, the better price point is the same as the pricing point was at 50 because the prices have gone up. <laughs> so we're sort of going, oh, we're getting bigger. We're buying more stuff. But as we're scaling, we're just staying at the same pricing point because everything else is increasing which in yeah. one way is good because it means from our customers point of view it's not actually affecting them yeah um luckily because we're buying higher volumes so we're trying we're, it's actually counteracting it but from our point of view it's really frustrating that we're not able to bring prices down at all because they're just we're chasing our tail with it unfortunately um like i think i, I think we did an order this week for something like four thousand three five five battery modules for the next wow. year just to try and cover demand and stuff, and we'll bring them in in sort of tiered times. But it means we've locked the prices in, so we don't have to increase. It's just, yeah, it's, it's scary amounts now. Um, but it shows the industry's going that way. It's growing. The demand is there, um, which is great. And we'll actually have enough stuff in stock that we can continually supply the industry um, for the next year without the conversion industry suffering. Because obviously the conversion industry would be the first industry to suffer mm. because straight away anyone supplying stuff to OEMs and stuff will just not supply to the little people. Yeah, they're, they're going to prioritise the, the big contracts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think we're quite lucky we sit in that space where we're able to continue supplying um, the industry, uh, which you know, which is good. I mean, obviously there's more EVs on the road now as well, so there's more salvage parts coming available, which is good. The big problem is that it's now Model 3 and the batteries are useless. Yeah. So it's sort of, if they've been Model S's and more of them, then brilliant. But suddenly, actually, we're now in a position where the Model S batteries are very hard to come by. But there's uh, a lot more diversity as well. I mean, you've got... Yes. I mean, there's loads of stuff out there that I haven't even seen people experimenting with yet. Like, yeah, I haven't seen people reverse engineering the Hyundai batteries yet necessarily, or the um, you know, some reverse engineering of the MG batteries. I mean, there's so many different options out there well, now. The MG batteries are actually fairly good. Um, okay. You can you can remove the BMS board off of them. So we've got some. We've removed the BMS board. We've designed a new BMS board. So it's uh, you know with the MG module you'll like our Tesla replacement boards. Yeah. The MG modules you'll be able to open the lid up, pull the old board off, put a new board on. 
Brilliant. So that's that's where we've gone with that. And luckily, MGB didn't solder. There was no solder joints. It was actually um, just pressure point. So nothing was. Yeah, it was very. It's a very clever design the way they did it. Cool. Um, but it means that you can actually replace the BMS boards, um, yeah. which is quite a good thing. So there's options there with those. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of options coming out. Um, and I think the MG is a. I think it's a cattle module or cattle cells, which we tried to buy what we can't buy them. There's just too much. They, they just want to supply the OEMs only wow. um, in volume. So there's sort of there, there's supply issues there, I think, with them. But yeah, if you, the MGB packs are, are quite good and potentially you can replace the board. Or there's a couple of aftermarket DMS systems come out now, which are starting to to look at in the open source world actually work with the onboard mm. um, battery modules. Which is what I'm doing with the BMW modules with with yeah. uh, with Simp, yes. um, which is which is fantastic for that. Um, what's your take on? I mean, so you said earlier, you know, the industry's obviously changed a lot in the last four years, and that's true of the sort of the broader, you know, OEM, you know, EV sales have outpaced everybody's expectations year on year, or most people's expectations year on year, and, and yeah, I, I suspect will continue to do so because actually it turns out they're really good cars and people want them, um, and, you know range anxiety and you know charging infrastructure be damned um but then the obviously the conversion industry's changed radically i mean even since i i only got involved what 12 13 months ago probably started my first project was it more than that or was it you know probably took me a bit more than that actually but anyway i'm, I'm losing track of time now. i mean it was two years ago but it's changed a hell of a lot since then i mean you know there's so much been so many advances in terms of accessibility of conversions in terms of the amount of public profile they get and news media and things you know, where, where do you see the conversion industry and the diy side going do you see it going sort of going from strength to strength price rises notwithstanding um i don't know i do have some concerns about the diy industry mm. i think with conversations we've been having with DBLA, DSA, there is going to be stricter rules coming into the UK soon. Mm. We've seen it happening. Like it used to be, you can update the logbook, send in an invoice, and they change it to electric. Now they send out someone to assess the vehicle and physically check that no modifications have been made to chassis and everything's bolted in and that sort of stuff. So we've been quite lucky. Obviously, we've developed everything to be fully reversible and bolt in, yeah, which is good, but from a DIY point of view, it's a lot easier to not design it that way and just draw some extra holes and welder cover brackets on, you know, which is understandable. And that's the way we wish we could do it because it makes life a lot easier. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're starting to find that, yeah, the DVLA and stuff are cracking down slowly. Um, but we are, you know, we are in talks with them with a couple of other EV conversion shops to sort of have a, a group of us that will all help deal with the DVLA. Um, but I do see some sort of stricter standards coming in um, around sort of the R100.2 sort of specification, just for base safety. Yeah. I don't know how far they're going to take it, but, you know, we'll we'll see how that progresses. I, I, um, think, I think most people in the sort of the DIY field would be very comfortable with some sort of enhanced MOT or some sort of inspection that says, yeah, you've, you've not created a death trap that's going to wipe out you and everyone around you. Um, but for personal reassurance, apart from anything else, it's like it's like the classic car industry. You know, general advice is even if your car doesn't need an MOT, get an MOT for your sake and everybody else's. I think that the uh, the DIY industry probably needs something similar, as long as those sort of rules are reasonable and and uh, and and there's good communication around it, which I think has been you know certainly with from the DIY community's perspective has been a bit lacking. Yeah, I mean, also the emergency services have got big concerns because they yeah. don't know how to approach these vehicles, how to deal with We do a lot of training with fire brigade and stuff, and it's a real worry for them is how do they approach these vehicles? How do they know they're converted? Well, DVLA needs to make sure they update the logbooks and not refuse mm -hmm. to. 
because there's issues after 2001 where the DVLA don't want to change the fuel type. Absolutely. It's um, one of the things that baffled me was, was what happens when it's in a crash. Like we had it with the Porsche Boxster. It got updated. It's 2004. They changed it. And then a couple of months ago, they sent a lot back saying it's petrol again. Um, so we've now gone back to them and said, well, that's fine. But when this fire person turns up to the car, they think it's petrol. So they approach that car in a different manner than they would if it was electric. So you're putting these people at risk. So we've approached it from that point of view, which we're hoping will actually sort of ride home. We're not asking them to remove the tax. We're asking them just to change yeah. it to electric. Um, so there's certain things there that we'll go through. I think there needs to be some sort of test, which isn't an MOT. It's not an IBA, but it's something in between where if someone yeah. that actually knows what they're looking at looks at it. Um, the big thing I see is it's easy to make, or from my point of view, it's easy for someone to make a black battery box that looks good. It's how is it wired inside is the problem. The fire risk is within the buzz bars, within the internal wiring. So I would say if they're going to do something, it needs to be something that's a little bit more sort of intrusive to a level where they just check that the inside the battery box looks as tidy as the outside does. Because <laughs> um, yeah. I have seen some quite scary things over the years, <laughs> uh, which I'm amazed are on the road um, and haven't caught fire at times. So there's, there's some, you know, there's, there's some risk there. I think we've been quite lucky so far. Mm. Um, but the concern is that I, I, the concern I found is we did the YouTube stuff and in some way made it look easy to some extent, which is actually really dangerous because mm. then you get a different type of DIY getting involved. You don't have the sort of the electrical engineers and the, the very knowledgeable people doing it that have a background in it. You suddenly have people that have no background in EVs, which is a bit like I did when I started. I can't mm. knock it because, you know, I had no idea when I got involved, but there is that risk is you're not having ones and two, you're suddenly getting hundreds of people that want to do their own EV. So there's, there's, there's some high risk there longer term. Yeah. Um, but, but the that's... more kits we can produce, the more we can document things that, you know, the better that will become long term and the more safety and, and, features we put in. And you want those people going down the kit route, really. You don't want them going down the salvage route, you know, and, and hacking things together. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of stuff on YouTube now, I think, which wasn't there before. So mm. there is an awful lot of stuff that people can follow and look through and see the do's and the don'ts and sort of all those sort of things. Um, but what we've also found is that we've been adding in safety systems without asking, shall we say. Um, it's more of, you know, if you're going to buy these parts, first, you're buying this part as well. Like you're buying a contactor controller. You're going to have to run the Ryan BMS. Like we're, we're not giving people the option normally. We're saying you need to run these set things to run our system. Mm. And not because we, you know, we want to sell more stuff. Obviously that comes into it. But part of it is actually, at least if we know you run those bits, it's safe. Mm. We know you're running ultimate grade stuff. And yeah, it's a little bit more expensive. But that battery pack costs you thousands of pounds. You may as well spend a little bit more and make sure that battery pack stays safe for longer and lasts mm. longer. Um because one of the things we've been doing now with all our new stuff is it's tied into the discharge and charge limits that the battery management system says it can do. So therefore, it doesn't damage the battery. And mm. if there's any issues, it shuts down properly. There's there's all these little bits that we're trying to deal with so you don't have to. And then suddenly, your system's safe without you even having known it's become safe, if that makes to some extent. Yeah, um, yeah. From that point of view. But yes, yeah, how far do you go is... Uh, is definitely thing, but then the other thing we've seen in the market is it's a new demographic getting involved with the EV converted side of things. In that you've now got the people that love the look of the classic, but would never own one. Okay. Suddenly they can have a classic because it's reliable and die with daily. So you suddenly got these people that actually they bought a Tesla, but if they could have bought you know a Porsche instead <laughs> for a similar price, 
yeah. that was fully electric, they probably would have done. So and that, we're starting to get that sort of side. And that of kind of defines your pricing, doesn't it? It's like if you're if people are benchmarking this against the alternative is a Model S, then exactly. So if you can build a kit to that standard, that level, um, that's a bolt-in reversible into a classic Porsche, suddenly that becomes a lot more appealing to an awful lot of people. Like we've got a couple of customers in London that've got bolt-in Porsche kits, and they drive them daily in London as their daily driver. Mm. You know, they they didn't want a Model S, they they or a Model X, they wanted their classic Porsche. So that suits them perfectly, um, and it keeps the classics on the road. So in one way, that's also going to keep the classic restoration industry running, because um, I think it's a lot of those industries are a bit worried. Where is it going to go with classics long term? Um, are they going to, you know, are they going to die out, or and actually, it looks like the classics are be having a new lease of life. And I think they'll be on the road a lot longer, and you'll see a lot more of them on the road being driven mm. daily or more regularly because they'll be reliable vehicles that can be driven all the time. Certainly makes the road more exciting. So listen, we're running yeah. out of time. Two last questions. Um, first one, silly one, which I'll give you a minute to think about, is what's your favourite tool? Um, and while you think about that, um, any sort of projects that you're working on at the moment that are really exciting you, whether it's new parts or new cars or stuff that's that's coming up, coming down the line? So the Zonic stuff, obviously, was quite exciting. Mm. In fact, we can actually bring out some, some motors with the Zonic brand, which... Are they uh, going to be so, for any sort of what sort of orientation are they designed to be used in? Are they in for sort of front engine rear wheel drive, or are they built up big, to a gearbox? Big mixture. So currently, it's motors with inverters, but we do have transaxle and prop drive gearboxes to go on them. Wow! Um, okay. The big benefit is all the Zonix that's been designed to have the Hyper Nine faceplate, so it's a B face, just an eight bolt B face. So as much as it's got a spline output, if you have a Hyper Nine fitted to your car mm-hmm. and you want to update it to a four hundred volt system, you don't have to have a new adapter plate made. You, it gotcha. bolts to the original Hyper 9 adapter plate. So that made life, that's going to, it's a stepping stone, I suppose. Suddenly you yeah, have to yeah. get 400 volt and you have to do spline output, but your original Hyper 9 adapter plate do fit um, from that point of view. So yeah, the Exonix, that's like, there is some other projects we're working on that I will come out probably later next month. Okay. With some, some other. Watch this space. Yeah, there's some exciting project there that will 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 come to light and everyone but ah, it's zero v are doing that project um but yeah that 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 will come out later next month hopefully there'll be a press release on that and that'll be really good um my favorite tool at the moment probably two maybe three tools um one of my favorite tools is our is our air automatic crimping machine that's quite cool okay just because it it makes cool noise it's got massive teeth (laughs) so you could lose a finger if you get it wrong um but it makes a really cool noise and it's so satisfying doing high voltage cables and just pressing the foot pedal and it just crimping it and being done yes no hand like crimping and it's just you put it in you press the foot pedal and it just does it um nice. so that's quite nice and we've also got the, the the stripper and crimping machine for the small like battery management cables and stuff and that's really nice because you just that must save a lot of time it strips it crimps it and does it just in oh. one hit and that's so nice uh, and the last thing you want is a Bluetooth crimp when you build a car and you suddenly, you, like, wh- where is this wiring for? Like, the amount of time you lose trying to find a wiring problem is just ridiculous. Uh, Don't. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I was driving my conversion back the other day and my DC to DC converter shut down because of a Bluetooth, uh, uh, Bluetooth wiring connection. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was good fun. Right, listen, uh, Chris, thank you so much for doing it. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, this... Lots of exciting stuff in the pipeline for Zero EV, it sounds like, which is very cool. Um, 
thanks for sharing as much as you have on the YouTube channels because that's been really useful. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of people have watched those, even if it has encouraged some people. Some might argue like me who maybe haven't got the talent to do this well, but I keep trying. Um, well, you and, fake it till you make it, don't you, I suppose? <laughs> as long as you survive till you make it, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. That's fine. <laughs> fine. End of the day, you know, we, we, Zero Review's done pretty well and we had to learn at some point. And this industry currently, no one knows exactly what they're doing. As True. I found. It's a True. new industry for everyone. It's not just an industry that everyone's already trained for. There, no one quite knows everything yet, which is which is quite exciting for the younger generations. Um, so come in, to get involved in. try it, learn, and if you can't do it safely, buy a kit. That's the <laughs> or buy a Tesla. You know, you got, got, got a couple or a boxes, Tesla, or a Nissan Leaf. Yeah, there's quite a few good good ones now, um, which have uh, which have come out brilliant thanks for coming on thank you for watching and listening if you do like this stuff please do like and subscribe if you just want the audio version if you're watching this on on youtube you can go and find it on spotify on stitcher on all of the on apple podcasts it's on all of the uh, audio networks as well uh, and that's it thanks very much bye bye <laughs>